Hello everyone, welcome to Urbanus Podcast. I'm the host Donatas Urbanus and I'm joined by my colleagues, partner in crime, Rita Stushnauskas and also Augusta Shulauskas. We're glad to see you here uh, together with us. Welcome back, guys. Yeah, nice to be back in Vilnius. How do you feel about after the Eurobasket? I mean, we've been on road with Ritis for 21 days. It's crazy. Guys, I saw your faces coming in today into the office and uh, I think that tells all the story. Yeah, I'm tired, really. And, and you know, yesterday we had some flight delays. We arrived later than expected. I couldn't get proper sleep because my my employers wanted to have a photo shoot before the upcoming basketball season and everything. I had to wake up really early in the morning. And, you know, it, it's stupid to say that I feel a jet lag because of one hour difference, but I, I really feel tired because of all the traveling and obviously the workload that we had in, in, in Germany. But at the same time, it was a great experience. And, and yesterday was a great moment to finally see my girlfriend and my dog after after a while because it feels like we've been gone for at least three months or, or half a half a year i don't know it, it looks like cologne the group stage was last year <laughs> something like that yeah. i i took a morning nap uh, this morning because the this the sleep i got uh, this night it was just not enough i was dreaming eurobasket there was some situation, <laughs> something happened with Rudy Gobert, he got in trouble, Evan Fournier was making some Were some referees part of your dream? Could be. <laughs> but the all Eurobasket 5 was part of my dream. And okay. for some reason, I've got in a room where it was about, uh, you know, where were people who were preparing jersey, jerseys of these players who made the all-Eurobasket team. And I'm just looking, there's Ignaz Brasdeikis jersey, and there was some other guy from the group, group stage, let's say from the team Netherlands or Great Britain, and I was like, what the hell is going on? I started shouting, I started asking, what's the formula of this, you know, voting for the all Eurobasket team? <laughs> and I was so pissed, actually, that and I just woke up then. I mean, it just, that's, that's how it stuck to my mind, this whole Eurobasket experience, and basically working since the, mor since the moment you wake up, there were a lot of mornings where I had breakfast with laptop opened and just watching some games and then usually we finished our job at midnight or something. So yeah. nice. it was crazy. You also had a lot of stuff to do. I mean, you yeah. stay home, but you made so many video breakdowns both for basketnews.com and, and for FIBA, right? Yeah, a lot of work. And But anyway, I didn't see you guys for a lot of time. I wanted to say publicly kudos to both of you for like Ritis commenting most of the games here in Lithuania with your colleague Tote with us. Yeah. Donatas writing a lot of articles behind the scenes, so much stuff for the basketnews.com project, so much interesting stuff. So I just wanted to publicly, you know, compliment you guys for the excellent work that you did. Thanks, man. It was, part of it it was, it was really amazing to, to listen to Ritis and to read your stories. It was... Super cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I have a question for you guys. Okay. So now you were there and I was and I, I was here back home. So I was like just seeing the games on the TV. What will be the moment that you will remember, let's say in, after five years, when somebody mentions Eurobasket 2022? It can be not the game, not the performance. It could be a behind the scenes moment that you saw. Right. And uh, just, you know, that will stuck with you even after five or ten years when somebody mentions this this Eurobasket? What is the first um, moment that comes to your mind? To me it's still about one single game like from 2019 China I will forever remember Australia France super high level basketball and the same with this Eurobasket 2022 it's Greece Germany a crazy game like 
an NBA playoff game on a FIBA Eurobasket court, something like that. You have Giannis trying to beat the wall. You have Germans shooting freeze like crazy. Andrea Sops getting hot. They're, they finished the game with 17 three-pointers. You had um, crazy second quarter buzzer beater by Slukas from half court. And the scoreline after two quarters, I believe, was like 61-57. A very high scoring game, but at the same time, you cannot say that teams were not defending. Just the quality of offense was mm. was crazy. Some players were unstoppable. Some players were playing to their limits. And Yanis was really great, but he got two unsportsmanlike fouls and he was ejected from the game. So it, the game had everything. It was a full house. It was a sold out mm. because in the finals, what we were lacking was the atmosphere. And this game, Greece Germany, was the highlight of the tournament to me. So I cannot single out any like particular moment, even though there were some. Like I, I still have it in my mind, stuck in my mind when Lorenzo Brown just slipped and and the referee was standing right there and he just <laughs> blew a foul to Thomas Artel. Like Artel then ran away like this. What the hell is happening here? Doing a victory lap around. And, and I was, <laughs> I was just quite, laughing. Quite further, at that moment, I was, I was quite just further laughing. away, but immediately I said on a broadcast. Dude just slipped and the gave a foul. It's ridiculous. Like, and then it was shown on on the uh, video box, and all the fans saw it, and everybody started laughing. <laughs> like, and then the ref, as usually, goes and gives a Teed technical. Up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, that was. I will remember all these. I, I will remember the feeling of witnessing of these amazing individual performances, especially starting from Luka Doncic. Uh, Basically, every day we saw his greatness in, in Cologne. Then, of course, there, there was Yanis. And this feeling will be combined with the feeling of such a consistent feeling of upset coming. I mean, when you think that, oh, okay, Serbia losing to Italy is, is going to be the biggest upset of the tournament, then there's this game Germany-Greece, then there's Slovenia-Poland, where you kind of expect, okay, it's going to be an easy game, we're going to finish our job uh, pretty quickly, we will go to, to party somewhere, and you know it just blows off because for somehow Slovenia loses to Poland. So that will be the combination of these two feelings of witnessing the greatness and witnessing uh, probably record number of upsets we, we had in this tournament. What about you? You? Were, just, you were just waiting for a, a, a break and then it's exactly. an, an even bigger upset and uh, one after the other. Yeah, exactly. For me, it was watching from home, yeah. I think, Serbia-Italy. Okay, because you're I'm, half I'm Italian. biased, yeah, but so. I mean, that game was just mm. out of this world. I don't know. From the, the game itself, the three-pointers, the way Italy played, and you cannot mention all the emotions from Gianmarco Pozzeco. He just stole the show with all the content. And uh, I just remember now myself uh, scrolling Twitter after the game and seeing him jumping on Yanis, seeing him uh, almost costing the game for Italy because he was in the arena when the game wasn't, yep. was not finished. And I'm like, just this is just too much. This is crazy. This is... And then giving the credit card to Marco's piece. <laughs> yeah, it's just... So much content, so much stories, and uh, I was not believing what was happening. And the game itself wasn't even the biggest story when when it was, uh, like you said, probably one of the first of many upsets mm. that came. But right. everything off the court stole 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 the show from the from the let's say players and and the victory. But I actually have a conflict with myself sometimes, uh, and I'm thinking, uh, how do I? Uh, analyze the Eurobasket better 
being there physically, but covering only a limited number of games, only from the group stage where I'm at, like Cologne in this case, or being at home and absorbing everything that I can. Because sometimes I think that if I was here in Vilnius, from our TV studio, for example, I could cover more games. I would watch more group games, not only Lithuania, but other groups that played in Prague, Milan, and, and Belisi. And perhaps in the podcast material, I would have even more to say. However, of being course. there physically gives you some other advantages. Like you meet journalists from other countries. You have some nice conversations. Even in a hotel lobby, you sometimes bump into people. I had one crazy evening where... Randomly, I, I just spent a couple of hours with a basketball agent, a coach from an NBA team, uh, a great friend of Tomasz Satoransky, and a goalkeeper from Slavia Prague, who was also a, a huge basketball That's fan. a random mix of so people. That's a random mix of people, <laughs> but it brings a lot of great conversation. So probably it's better to be there and to experience everything, but being in your position, you probably watched more games and and you analyzed more. From the work perspective, I would say that it's more comfortable to be here yeah. and watch the games on, uh, online from the TV because I can watch multiple games. If you have multiple screens, I can just uh, download the other game whenever I want after it finishes. And because you, when you finish your work, you go to the lobby or the hotel and you see all these people and you cannot you know, continue working. And uh, it's not normal hours that probably we did during this Eurobasket, but uh, you can watch more games, you can analyze more, and yeah, on the podcasts, you can say more than, yeah. but, from, but, but the experience that you get there is, yeah, is, yeah. is yeah. worth it's it. It's unquestionable. Yeah. From my side, it was even more challenging because there were a lot of situations where we're just finishing the post-game stuff with mixed zone interviews, with press conferences, then you have to put all these articles. And for example, I... Uh, and came to, into the arena for the final game just at the end of the first quarter. And there were a lot of situations where just doing some stuff for the first half and you're just trying to watch the game in the second half, then of course you already have to think about what you're going to do in the post game, what you're going to focus on. And that's the reason why, especially before our podcast, I had I rewatched so many games actually the following morning before our podcast because I just didn't see something. So we kind of knew what we were going to discuss, the, the main things, the main highlights of the sermon. So I just needed to rewatch these games. And of course, being in August position, if it's, it's always better to watch the game on TV if you just want to have the best analysis of the game. Because I can go back 10 seconds uh, immediately. Exactly, after and the you're play. not disturbed by any noise, by, by some other you know, circumstances that are also important uh, in, in this job. So, yeah, but yeah, sure. these, these experiences has their own advantages. What you guys, anything to add? No, no. What you, what you guys going to remember about this Eurobasket final? Because one of the, our main final? topics for today is, of course, Spain winning the Eurobasket. We have to discuss the final game. But what you're going to remember the most about that? My main take is that good, smart basketball always beats bigger names on paper. Like France were not playing good basketball throughout the tournament. And it has to be said, they had the most turnovers. There was always huge chaos in the way they played. They they were lacking ball handlers. I mean, when Tomar Tell is your best ball handler, it probably says a lot about your team. He can be uh, a scorer, but not your yeah, best ball handler. Exactly, exactly. He's a pick and roll scorer, that's it. He can be a good guard in a team that has plenty others. But in this case, there's 
it's not such a big surprise they were turning over turning over the ball so so many times and even in the final 19 turnovers and Spain they just proved that with the right ideas and and with the right people to execute them with the very smart coaching staff you can do a lot of great stuff in a, in a tournament like this and it's just I had a feeling before the final that Spain is the better team. I don't care about the names on 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 the roster like Gobert, Fournier, probably bigger names than than Brown or or Hernan Gomez sure. brothers. But especially in, in the NBA context, yeah, for sure. But I just thought that Spain is the better basketball team, and that's it. So that's my main take, and it was proven on the court. They were playing better basketball. They had better tactical decisions. They didn't adjust to France playing with with two centers. Vice versa, Juancho and Gomez from the fourth position just hitting those frees like crazy. And when San Calais had to react, it was impossible for him to continue with Poré in the fourth position. Zone defense for two possessions straight was punished. So Scariolo had this game in his pocket from the very beginning in my eyes. Scariolo again, Scariolo's matchup record against San Calais in the FIBA playoffs is 6-0. Yep. I mean, it tells a lot. Yep. Jordan. Crazy. Yep. Now, for me, it was, uh, I told yesterday on the Lithuanian podcast, we did uh, that, you know, this uh, cliche of basketball, talent wins games, defense wins championships. And not only for the final, but we saw two of the best, let's say, defensive teams because France didn't play good basketball, mm -hmm. but they played good defense. Yeah. And, you know, with some <laughs> some true. luck, let's say. And there was there were two best defensive teams in the final and... And after all, you know, Spain won with their mix of defenses, with their adjustments. Like you said, Scariolo had a counter for every move that Cole had prepared. For uh, when they played with two bigs, it was Juancho playing uh, off-ball screens, slip screens. It made him made it uncomfortable for for Fall and uh, Gobert. And then they they threw zone. It's two free pointers. Then again. I rewatched the game and uh, there will be a breakdown coming out about, about it. And uh, see, it seemed like every time uh, Spain went into a zone, whether it was box and one, one, two, two zone defense, it was a turnover coming from France. I, I didn't count the turnovers, but I think at least eight or 10 turnovers came after playing zone deep, different yeah. zone defenses. What was interesting that after the game, Evan Fournier focused that it was mo mostly focused on that the our team was very well prepared tactically they were oh, uh, prepared for the every game. possession yeah and it felt like there were some you know things he said about his own coach i mean you, like it's obvious you should not be able uh, not maybe the player but we can say it like scariolo scariolo outplayed Cole. like scariolo yeah. outplayed lithuanian coach maxquidis like he did I mean, it was not. It wasn't that obvious, but also in the semifinal, the box and one worked with five minutes left against Germany mm -hmm. as well. He basically, uploaded every coach, and that's the reason yeah. why he's he might Nobody. be the goat in FIBA basketball. So and I have I have like a few questions about France and and Vincent Collet. Uh, do you think that Spain's tactical plan forced Yabusele and Gobert to be distributors, or was it like? random set of plays for France, like short roll with Gobert and he, all of a sudden he's in a passing position where he's not very good because we have seven turnovers combined from the bigs, Yabusele and Gobert. 
I believe it was a a choice by Scariolo because you saw that they started the game with a hedge or a step out yeah. against Fournier and yeah. it made Gobert the short, short roller. And in the third quarter, after halftime, Cole made an adjustment. He made, and you noticed it immediately on the on the on the broadcast. Yeah. He made uh, he played the pick and roll with the four with Yabuzeli, yes. and he made a mid range jumper uh, on the short roll. It was immediately better. But after that, after like five minutes, uh, Cole in the first quarter, Cole decided to to play Spain pick and roll. Yes. So you don't defend. You usually don't defend Spain pick and roll with a hedge. You put the you put the big man to drop. And so you avoid you, you avoid the hedge, but then it was the Spain guards that made the difference, you know, with aggressive steals and stuff. So I think it was I think it was uh, the move from Scariolo that made Gobert uh, the short roller. Yeah. Okay. By the way, France had one of the worst points per possession um, record. They were better only when Estonia, Georgia, and Great Britain. It tells a lot. Although, as as we mentioned, it when was you're one starting of the best. a game with the lineup of LBC. Tarpe and Fournier. So Fournier is your only ball handler. And it, it wasn't a good tournament for him. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. One of the Although he was scoring, but not consistently, his numbers were he not was great. Ineffective. Yeah. But I mean, I get it. For, from Vincent Calais' position, it's, it's hard. You you have to depend on Thomas Ertel. Mm. You know, have Nando De Colo, Elio Cobo. Okay, he hit some spot up shots, but probably people expected him to be that ball handler who could mm. help a little bit. We all thought the that he was going to replace the call, but he was very far away from it. He was very far away from it. And and for Spain, it was just the flow, the way they played, it was so natural. The role players consistently stepping up. Mm. Like in one game, it's Dario Brissella hitting shots. It was against Finland. Then in the final, you had some great stretches from Jaime Fernandez. He finished the game with 13 points. Amazing and in the first half. Yes, in the first half, he was great. And Alberto Diaz is one of those unsung heroes. The mm. defense he was playing, how he was pressuring the ball, and and in a crucial moment, the box and one against Germany in the semifinal when he took care of Dennis Schroda. I mean, Alberto Diaz is really an un unsung hero because not only he was playing great defense, but when it came to him to hit those spot-up shots, exactly. he did it. I mean, in two I mean, of the most important games yes, against Germany and uh, exactly. in the final. And some end one plays actually against Lithuania. I remember him driving to the basket, yeah. finishing with an end one. So in, in the final, when it looked like France is getting closer, Spain always had a response. Like Lorenzo exactly. Brown goes deep into the paint. He gathers the defense. He reads the defense. Just He trusts his teammates. And the corner freeze were going in. Spain hit 15 frees from 31. And obviously, it all comes down to Juancho Hernan Gomez, or should we say Bo Cruz, the way he performed in this uh, in this final. I, I I said like during the broadcast, like it was Juan Carlos Navarro with a bigger body, so it was impossible to guard those shots. Yeah, and exactly. Spain always responded. I, I would also add that you know when the situation gets closer, Rudy Fernandez hits the three, Usman Garuba with his amazing defensive stops, and there was this moment when Spain got the lead, they were up by 21, and there were at least two times where France really closed the gap, they were down by three, by five, and I was like, is it is it happening again? I mean, another miracle is just happening, because to be honest, I mean, France, with all the drawbacks we've already mentioned, they they shouldn't be even for this game, for the gold medal game. Probably. The way they went through uh, Turkey and, and Italy. But at, at every time the game was closer, close to tie, Spain just responded. And yeah. it just, but you, you just could feel that it's just a better team 
better coach team. They had a better chemistry. Better basketball fundamentals. Just, I, I, I wasn't surprised that Scariola was so happy just being a basketball coach of a team which played really nice basketball because that's what they actually did with these role players, with some star players, with some solid rotation players and veterans. They just some somehow clicked to become a great, great basketball team. Yeah, we know who was the star of the show, like the biggest star, Lorenzo Brown. But oh, I'm not so sure if we all know. I'm not so sure if we all know. Three people at this table probably agree <laughs> on, on that matter. But I, I have a question to Ogis about one particular player. That is Usman Garuba. Uh, he proved his value to this team in the knockout stages. Like without the points. Without any points, just being very solid on defense, grabbing the rebounds and assisting also. Uh, he was their center for the fourth quarters in, in the crucial games. So the question is, where do you see Usman Garuba? Do you believe he's NBA material or do you think that in a few years' time we should see him back in Europe being what he is for, for Spain right now? I mean, I don't know what happened with his shooting in the NBA and his shot in particular with his like mechanics and stuff. Yeah. But if he develops a shot, why not? I see I see him in the NBA carving out a role for himself. I really like his energy. I really like his, let's say this... Uh, Passion for the game. Motor. As well, but also, you know, this feel for the ball. Okay. Uh, where, where it's going and... Uh, uh, he flourished as a creator in this tournament. We didn't see that of that much mm -hmm. before for the teams he played. And for me, one moment stuck uh, the most. It was the pass with one second remaining in the shot clock. Yeah, this it was semifinal. Germany, yeah, semifinal. I think so. Seven assists. It was just, it was Garuba, um, you know, just getting his play to the next level. And it was also Scariolo's mindset of playing until the last second. We saw Spain a lot of, you know, shots late in the clock, long possessions, a lot of patience. And uh, this thing was installed in, I think, in, ev in every player. And you, you can see that in Garuba. So I think if the only question for me is his, his shooting, you know, we all know how important it is now in the NBA, uh, the shooting ability and uh, how much it adds to your potential and to your playing time. So yeah, so without a... That's a huge if, guys. That's a huge without if. Without shooting from distance, he's probably a EuroLeague player. Uh, uh, because I remember the scouting reports uh, from NBA people, uh, he was compared to Al Horford. No way. Now he's yeah. really nothing close, close to, to Al Horford. So yeah, that's it's that's that's a big if, and uh, I mean it's really hard for a player. Um, it also depends on him, you know. Yeah. If he wants a small role in the NBA, or if he wants to be one of the, yeah. let's say, main guys here in Europe. So. But that's another thing that I loved actually about this team, uh, that uh, there's no problem for Villarna Gomez to sit big minutes in the fourth quarter because he knows yeah. how important it is to have Garuba on the floor. And he's cheering for his team from the bench. And then when it comes to the last two minutes, of course, you start those offense-defense substitutions. But Vili is a team player. He wants to win the gold medal. And there are no issues because... He realizes Usman Garuba is better defensively than I am, even though I have all those big numbers on offense, and now he's the MVP of the tournament, apparently. But yeah, and Scariolo makes a decision, and people trust his decision-making, and that's it. Yeah, They win together, they lose together, and as we see, now they're world champions European and European champions. champions at the same time.
Everyone was a star in their role. Yep, exactly. Every, everyone exactly. bought it. So Lorenzo Brown got robbed, right? For sure. It's, yeah. it's kind of clear for, for sure. us. It was not clear for, for, for the rest of the media because I just checked one more time and it was completely up to the media uh, voting. Uh, also, press officers of, of these Eurobasket teams could have voted uh, in this voting, but basically, it, you know, it was all uh, all about us media members. And I voted I, for Lorenzo. I voted even even before the finals. I know that the deadline was like the halftime of the final. That's a problem, actually. You can have this deadline for the all Eurobasket team, but we, when it takes the Eurobasket MVP, I mean, these two quarters at the end of the game, they can really decide something. But that was decided but, before the final day, and there wasn't really anything that could. But for make example, up my mind. if Spain lose to France, Lorenzo Brown has a miserable game. Yeah, maybe that and makes you don't this vote questionable. Maybe. And you don't have two players then I think from Spain in the All-Star 5. But again, uh, it's, it's... Imagine I mean, France Imagine France winning and there is Lorenzo Brown and Willy Hernan Gomez in the All-Star all, all That wouldn't team. make any sense. Then you yeah. would need to have like Gobert and Yabusele or something Gobert like Gobert was still there. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, about the MVP, I mean, it's pretty obvious and we have to address the elephant in the room. Just our colleagues didn't want to see an American being the MVP of the Eurobasket. It's plain and simple. And I don't care what others say. I had discussions with my friends. They were saying to me, but look, Vili has the uh, biggest uh, efficiency rating in the team and, and a higher scoring average. Did you watch those games in Berlin? It was all down to Lorenzo Brown in the crunch time, yeah. in the fourth quarter. He killed Lithuania. He killed Germany. L look how Lorenzo Brown's Poor performance, looks and numbers. 14 points, 11 assists, zero turnovers, just because it was four from 13 shooting. In a gold medal game. In a gold medal game. He was the 11 first, assists, zero turnovers. He was the first player ever in Eurobasket finals and, that had double-double in, in points and assists. Can Vili Hernan Gomez get his numbers without Lorenzo? Nope. He gets all his points directly from Lorenzo's hands. It would be interesting to check how many of his points were assisted by Lorenzo Brown, I mean, actually. They, I would say like 50, yeah, 50, he had the 40, biggest 50%. impact on the court. He had the biggest impact on the court. He's the clear MVP of the tournament. And when you look at the averages, well, they played Bulgarian group stages. Somebody exactly. got like 32 or 34, I don't remember. It changes everything. But deciding on the MVP, you focus on what happened in the knockout stages. Exactly. Round of 16, <laughs> quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. And I'm sorry, I know Lorenzo Brown is an American. Yeah, I get it but he was the MVP of the basketball tournament. If you allow him to play, let's you know yeah. give him credit because he really deserved, even prior to the final game, he was averaging 23 points and eight, eight assists per game. He just killed Lithuania with like 15 points starting from the fourth quarter. He was amazing against Germany. I mean, I don't know what else he had to do to become the MVP. Nothing, people had their minds made up already that they don't want an American MVP and that's it, they voted how they voted. Actually, my second option would be Dennis Schroeder. Exactly, exactly. If not him, <laughs> I know they finished third, but not Vili Gomez. Sorry, respect to Vili. He had a great tournament. Uh, I love him, but but my second option would be Dennis Schroeder. And I really think that he got a lot of votes, maybe most of the votes, but FIBA just had to make this decision to award the MVP uh, from the winning team or at least from the final team. Uh, but I'm, I was really surprised that Vili got all these votes. I don't, I mean, if you're not voting for Lorenzo Brown, probably you should vote for, for Schroeder. Yes, so how Vili get all these votes? I, I really don't get it. Uh, August, what do you think? 
I don't know what to add. You know, your rant was spot on <laughs> and uh, just efficiency <laughs> is overrated. And uh, if you let him play, give him the MVP. I mean, he was responsible yeah. for 40, 50% of, of Willie's points. He was the, the, the man who had the ball in the last seconds. He closed the games. Uh, he got everyone else involved in the first halves of of each game, and just it's 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 nonsense. That's and it's not only about his offense. Defensively, he was yeah. irreplaceable as well as a point guard. We're not hating Willie Willie's game. Yeah, we're yeah, not no, hating on him, no. but it's just uh, I mean, probably even even Willie himself would admit that you know Brown was the number one option on the team. Although it's becoming a trend. I mean, the last two European champions they had very impactful uh, naturalized players. The highest scoring nation in this Eurobasket was <laughs> US and A. Yeah. Nice. And Ritis, you don't have a problem with this? No, nah, I said, don't. Come I on, don't. come on. I just, I just loved basketball and that's it. I don't really have Yeah, problem. but you but have, you club, you have club tournaments the during the season. You know? Euroleague, yeah. But we, we've talked about this too many times. Like, yeah. if they have this rule, well, but just, that's, that's let's just live with exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, and we hate on the rule. We don't hate yeah, on the players. Yeah, I get it. I and get it. And I appreciate your your position. Just it's me being me. That and that's the main thing. You cannot complain against these naturalized players when you got get killed by them. I mean, somebody should have made some official moves. And you can remember Bo McCaleb leading. Yeah. Uh, North Macedonia to the semifinals of Eurobasket. Yeah, North Macedonia, you said it, right? Because yeah. last time yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got some complaints. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, there were more previous examples. Almost in every Eurobasket, you had more than 10 teams having naturalized mm -hmm. players. Nobody, gave, you know, nobody complained about Kendrick Perry playing for Montenegro or Jalen Smith playing mm -hmm. for Croatia. But as soon as there is some great player... MVP contender, legit MVP of the Eurobasket. Now everybody, everybody talks about that. Why federations, they're not doing anything against this rule just to put some some, some package of rules like that guy, if he's getting naturalized, he has either to have parents or grandfathers uh, fathers, yeah. uh, from, from that country or they have to play there at least three or five years to become eligible for the national team basketball. I mean, there should be some official movement Rather than just, oh, this guy, can can you ask him any question in Spain because he won't answer it. I got I, I got all these jokes, you know, even in the press conference. I mean, I mean, it's bullshit. But, you know, randomly one night I was just looking through old Eurobasket uh, squads, like FIBA Eurobasket 2001, and I found on Team Slovenia, Ariel McDonald. So yeah. it was Great. happening... 20, Great point guard. 20 years ago. Gregor Fuchka was the MVP of, I think, 1999 Eurobasket. He was naturalized yeah. player because he's Slovenian. So, you know, it has roots like way back 20 years ago, way back in, in the beginning of the 21st century. And they had this rule and they still have this rule and we live with this rule. Obviously, it is becoming a trend. I think if we're talking about Spain, maybe it's just a one-time thing. Like what happened with Lorenzo Brown? Uh, probably they just Jorge Garbajosa thought, well, well, we've lost Ricky Rubio. We need to do something, and that was the decision they made. Maybe it was not an easy decision. I think in the future we will not see American point guards on 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 Spanish roster. Although Nikola Mirotic, Sergi Baca, they also count as naturalized players. So it's not like Spain never had done this before, but they did it with players that had some connection to to let's say Spanish basketball, like Mirotic. Uh, they tried to do it probably with Doncic. Right? It just was not 
yeah. was, was not possible they because Doncic was so much devoted to, to Slovenia. France so will have Joel Embiid. France will have Joel it, Embiid. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really tired of talking about this. Yeah, if you ask me if I have a problem with it, I don't. But I get it why you're not happy. I get it. I mean... At least there is evidence we were not happy before the tournament and yeah. not only now after Spain won. So that's I, I know, at least we're kind of professional in a sense that we accept that Lorenzo Brown deserved this MVP award. It's and a basketball decision. It's yeah, not yeah, an yeah. emotional decision. It's a basketball decision. Just vote for the best player. That's it. And th that's the problem of our basketball federation. As soon as the, as soon as the tournament uh, finishes, if it gets finished, I mean, everybody just complains about something. Everybody will talk about Lorenzo Brown yeah. for a, a few days and then it's over. The same with referees. I mean, every tournament since 2017, when EuroLeague uh, referees were isolated uh, from FIBA competitions, every tournament there were a lot of complaints and FIBA should do something, oh, these refs sucks and stuff like that. But we didn't see any effort from federations to finally really do something about it. I mean, from the organization um, side, because we still have uh, these tournaments without EuroLeague referees, and we are talking about 59 EuroLeague refs. And this press conference by by FIBA Europe General Secretary Kamil Novak and Demirel, the president of FIBA Europe, was just a big joke. It was a total lie. And it just comes to the uh, Belgium head coach who just said after the eight final uh, game, uh, after the round, round of 16 game against Slovenia, that just, we should stop lying to ourselves. And that's um, that's what happens with the referees. He told that the refereeing wasn't bad. He, yeah, it wasn't bad. It was terrible. Exactly. That was, <laughs> it was horrible. Uh, he told that the refereeing wasn't bad and we cannot... And when we just started with these follow-up questions about, you know, making really the refs. tournament stronger because they also said our effort is to make you know to, to put for the players to make them play in the best conditions and when you think about it referees is one of the most important conditions and he says that they did everything what they can it's 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 a total joke because he, he Kamil Novak he told that uh, they cannot include yearly referees because they cannot measure them uh, during the FIBA windows because they're officiating in the year league and there are, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous because when you just start logically, rationally think about it, I mean, we don't have any questions about the NBA players when they cannot play in FIBA windows, right? I mean, they for sure gonna play for the national teams in summer because they're playing at the highest level um, league in the world. And also, if that's such a huge problem, why not not to put them in the youth competitions, uh, U20, U18, U16, Eurobasket, let them uh, officiate in the final games. And then when just trying to find another uh, logical explanation in this nonsense situation, just look at the domestic leagues because yep. this is what Kamil Novak said, oh, our referees, they're every, every weekend they're officiating for the best teams in their domestic leagues. I just looked the stats of this season final games and the assignments that they're made for these games, there are free assignments for every game. And I mean, free referees. So from the top 10 leagues, excluded, excluding VTB League and French League, because I didn't get any information uh, who were the referees uh, of these games, there were 99 assignments. 58 of them were for the EuroLeague referees. Yeah. I mean, I think we have enough um, Mm, arguments. I mean, why Kamil Novak and FIBA is just lying to ourselves? Yeah, that, press, that whole press conference was just complete shambles. I just couldn't couldn't stand listening to it. But but 
yes, you're right. Of course, we want our EuroLeague refs. And probably FIBA is doing a favor to EuroLeague because right now uh, coaches like Etudis uh, and EuroLeague players will appreciate a little bit more the refereeing standards they face every week playing in the EuroLeague. Because in EuroLeague, sometimes we hear complaints. Yes, sometimes you can complain that Mirotic is getting some star calls or whatever, but... That's normal. After this Eurobasket, I think we as, as as fans and journalists will appreciate a lot more what the crew is doing in, in, in EuroLeague. Donatas with the stat of the night, man. Yeah, that's that's some that's deep, really interesting deep nah, analysis. Yeah. We, we we will make the article about it just to expose you know FIBA position because it's, it's just total bullshit. The same with the attendance. I mean, they said that they're super super happy and they think that attendance numbers were success. Didn't they watched games in Tbilisi, for example? And how can it be a success when you Wait. don't have a sold out in arena the final in the game. final? I mean, I saw a video from the final. There was uh, there were Greek fans uh, chanting Hellas, 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 yeah. And Greek was, I don't know, one week <laughs> out before. I mean, they bought the tickets. They expected yeah, their sure, to be there. But I mean, in Germany, it was okay. But as you said, in Belize, it was terrible. Yeah. And I think that just, just the MPG. numbers from the group stage in Cologne with all these top teams helped to increase the average yeah. attendance of the tournament. But Berlin was a disappointment. But this disappointing, is what I hate really. about those FIBA conferences. Uh, they are just making those conferences to spread the message how everything is yeah. cool and how we're doing a great job, how everybody is doing their best. And and in reality, it's not. It's not like that. We're, we're not stupid. I mean, maybe there are some other people who doesn't have that critical thinking, let's say. Yeah. But when you just follow basketball when you're trying to you know get deep into it and you just watch some games when you have just basketball understanding you see how referees are you know doing their job you hear what the back-to-back your league champion coach saying or your basket champion coach saying one of the best um, players in the world says that FIBA should do something about it and Nicola Melli who doesn't complain a lot about the referees, also says yeah. that FIBA should do something. And then you ge- hear the response from the FIBA official saying that refereeing wasn't bad. I mean, this is disrespectful for all these stars. The main guys, why we're, you know, going to a gym uh, to watch yeah. all those games, why we're sitting at the TV screen. Yeah. Okay. Nothing else to say. And nothing probably gonna change in the upcoming competition. I don't think so. That's the sad part. Next year in the World Cup, we're going to live with even more random refereeing from Venezuela, South Korea, and Puerto Rico. Yeah, I'm not hating on these countries, but I'm just hey. saying that we want elite refs to whistle for elite players. And it, it doesn't mean that with EuroLeague refs, we will avoid those mistakes. At least we will de- reduce the possibility of these mistakes because they're used to highest level basketball, yeah. highest intensity exactly. basketball, athleticism, exactly. speed. What kind of speed you're getting in FIBA Champions League and FIBA Euro Cup competitions? I mean, there are tremendous players who are then later going to the EuroLeague and they're having good seasons over there. But come on, I mean, it's it's even ridiculous that we have to explain things. The why it's final bad. was highlighted by by the Rudy Fernandez shot that obviously hit the rim and new shot clock was not given. And then they go on and give a technical to Scariolo. And then, of course, the famous Lorenzo Brown slip and the ghost foul. And of course, the follow-up was a technical. So the number of technical fouls that was given in Berlin in the knockout stages proves not that the coaches and players were too emotional. It just proves that these refs were not capable of controlling the game. That's it. They were acting 
just like FIBA does, I mean, if you're, they're making a mistake, they're getting, you know, arguments and responses why they're making a mistake, the, the, you know, they're bringing this uh, unhappiness, and then they just try to punish you again. Yeah, rather than admit your own mistakes, you just go on and punish people that are complaining, yeah. Yeah, that's, it's that's nothing great, wrong. Great that's, that's a great approach. Yeah, so. Anyway, let's go, let's go with our all Eurobasket 5, right? Because we have oh, a clear call on yeah. the MVP. There was official Eurobasket, uh, all Eurobasket 5 with Dennis Schroeder, uh, Lorenzo Brown, Yanis Antetokounmpo, Rudy Gobert, and Willi Hernan Gomez. Yeah. Do you have any changes or your own we ideas? We are all three are, are going to agree on, uh, on the only change for this five. At it's, least one change, yeah. Well, I have only one, and it's uh, Lowry Markkinen for Willi. The same, I, I voted, like I said, before the finals, and my 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 five was Schroeder, uh, Lorenzo, Yanis, Lauri Markkinen, and, and Rudy Gobert. Although, now that Spain are champions, I can admit that they maybe deserve two spots, and Villarna Gomez has to be there if he's voted the MVP. But Lauri Markkinen just carried a team that, if you take him out of the roster, Finland doesn't make it to the knockout stages. With him, they made it to the quarterfinals and they were competitive against the champions. They had a 15-point lead. And Lowry Markham was just a scoring machine. He was averaging 35 points and look in at his stage. field goal percentage. Look at his field goal. He didn't need like 40 shots to do it. Against Croatia, he, could, he did what he wanted to do on the court. He was just purely unstoppable. And let's say he didn't need Lorenzo Brown to score... He have didn't have points. a point guard. Yeah. Adon Majuni was his point guard from Estonian League. So I, under, I understand, you know, Spain getting two spots in the all because they're five because yeah. they are champions. But I think Markkinen was so unstoppable and doing everything on his own that he deserved a spot, even if uh, they were, you know, from fifth to eighth place. Yeah. And uh, the only other thing I was thinking about this five was: should we include a Poland guy? Should we include Mateusz Ponitka in this I don't tournament think five? so, really. I was thinking about Just Ponitka. for the triple-double? Just for the, I mean, the whole performance in the tourney, you know, the good averages. Uh, his last 16, two games. Six, but seven. if you were voting after the semis and after the bronze medal game. Oh, yeah. Then no, I mean, just yeah. pre, pre, like, you know, give some award for carrying Poland to mm. this historical feat for fourth place. Because usually, you know, I think I might be mistaken, but I imagine the all tournament five is winners have two spots and the second, third and fourth place get one each. You know, this is yeah. the usual mm -hmm. thing. But because this year we had such individual talents going out in previous stages, this is where it gets, you know, a little bit more interesting. And we see Yanis here. It was impossible to omit Yanis. Of course, yeah. I was even thinking about Luca uh, replacing Rudy Gobert, for example, because I think Gobert was exceptional in round of 16 and quarterfinal game, starting from the semifinals. But can you have a lineup without a single French player since they made That's it to the, the problem. final? But the problem is that France didn't have an exceptional player you know, to make this all, all, all five. Yes, we I know. We kind of have it's, to you know, put Rudy, Rudy Gobert Rudy just because. Yeah, exactly. So, and then you have this greatness of Luka Doncic. I mean, even in the game they lost, he was a game changer. Playing through through pain, limping and stuff. He was nah, doing amazing I, things. I was like he was in quarterfinal. Yeah. I think in quarterfinal, yeah. he... No, he, it was a bad game for him by his standards, of course. But I mean, he was playing through injury. 
in a yeah, very complicated game. Yeah, but when you're voting for, for all, all tournament lineup, do you take into consideration that someone was injured? I think not. I take into consideration that this guy had a 47-point game against the finalists. Uh, few other amazing games in the toughest uh, group of the but tournament. But his team lost yeah. against a complete underdog. That, yeah, I, I agree. But and I just had second thoughts because Luka Doncic was just too great. And that's why I was thinking about putting him in the all no. five. I didn't take it on my own when I was voting, but no, I didn't. I wouldn't say Luca. I wouldn't say Luca was that great. Like I expected more from him. I know he had a legendary performance and he had a couple more great games, but the other ones, he was, you know, let's say, below his standard level. And especially in that last game, I know, okay, he was injured, but you cannot, you know. Setting set an example like he did uh, in some in some of these games, especially on defense. I know you have to preserve energy for the offensive part, but you know just the example you're setting for for your teammates is is not the one you kind of want to see. So I don't I don't see him as my no I don't. Not in the end, he got fouled out with his team still being in the game, and he couldn't hit crucial shots he missed two free throws he missed a step back jumper and his team lost to poland i could yeah. see differently if they lost like to serbia or like yanis to germany yeah, they lost to germany and and germany played the game of the tournament so i can accept that but luka Doncic, no he doesn't deserve an all all tournament lineup in this case so i think we have a clear ranking for the these Free NBA superstars. We discussed the most before the tournament, right? I think I so. I mean, there's Luka Doncic, uh, Nikola Jokic, and Yanis Antetokounmpo. We discussed about them a lot. We were arguing which teams fits better around these stars and who gonna win the Eurobasket. Yeah. None of them made the semifinals, which makes this tournament amazing uh, mm -hmm. again. But if we would rank them, who would you go first with? Yanis. Is it Yanis, 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 Yanis for right? sure. Yanis. First of all, Greece didn't lose because Yanis didn't deliver. He delivered. He did his part. They lost because of other reasons. They couldn't no. cope with the uh, German shooting the ball and they couldn't hit their spot-up shots that were created from Yanis being on the court and Germany building the wall. So Yanis uh, had a good tournament in, in terms of individual performances. Uh, although, let's, let's admit, I was surprised that defensively Greece wasn't that great. I mean, I remember yes. you also emphasized that Yanis yeah. adds not only offensive presence, but huge, huge defensive potential. Yeah, I expected more. They yeah. allowed more than 90 points per game. They were one of the worst teams per points per scored per possession. I, I was a bit surprised. And it's not the Germans were, you know, hitting ridiculous shots. It was Greece that allowed them to do that. You know, they weren't doing yeah. all the necessary stuff to, you know, to uh, intimidate Andreas Obst from hitting those threes. They scored three three-pointers. Germany from... ran this, uh, the same play for Obst like yeah. three times. Three in times. A row. I was about to say that. Yeah. They, they, they scored three times, I think two times Obst and one time Wagner did it. And like such simple things like jumping from the ball when there is a pass and you know it's a shooter coming out. You know, you jump to the ball because if not, there is nobody here to, to disrupt the shot, the, the, the center on the staggers, on pin downs, just sitting way behind in the, in the paint, you know, not intimidating the shooter. And when you know what in what kind of form Andreas Obst was in this tournament, I was yeah. I was expecting more or finding him in the transition defense, just simple mm. mistakes like this. Yeah, I agree that Greece disappointed uh, from defensive perspective. However, Yanis, I think he was good. He was consistent. 
That's yeah. what's also important if he, you talk about I mean, if you compare him with Luka. His team lost in the quarterfinals, but so far for Yanis, it was his best FIBA tournament. And they lost yeah. to a team which had a serious case it's, for it, winning the gold team. medal. Yeah, yeah. So then if we rank number two, I actually would go for Nikola Jokic. Same. Because okay. Serbia didn't lose because of him. He was there dominating. He was underplayed as we discussed. Um, every time he got the ball, he was either fouled or he scored. We knew that he will have struggles defensively. We knew that those pick and pops that the Italians are running will, will be a nightmare for him. But it's okay as long as he's dominating offensively. And Serbia didn't lose because Jokic was not doing his part. Serbia lost because Mitic was very chaotic. What was that? He, he was not, not the EuroLeague MVP. Understood. Yeah. I mean, let's say he scored, what, 32 in yep. that game? Yep. And probably Italy scored the same amount on him, like creating advantages through those pick and pops. Yes. They were amazing. We have to say that. But it's 32, let's say 30, 30. It matches well, it. It matches it. The other the, the other part that made all the difference was terrible defense from Vasilya Mitic on, on Marcos Pisu yes. in the fourth quarter and probably not enough time. Just like and none everyone. Of, none everyone of the role told. players uh, stepped up and, uh, yeah. for Serbia. Yeah. Like Guduric. He couldn't a lot get of, a shot. A lot of missed open shots as well. Yep. So Jokic was not a problem for Serbia. He did his part. Others didn't. I don't know. I have Luka as my second in this ranking just but, because I cannot take Serbia seriously because they went from a really weak group and they filled it round of eight. Luka lost to Poland. Luka lost to Poland. Luka lost to Poland, say, man. Yeah, but they made the quarterfinals. They beat few great what teams before. What do you mean they made the quarterfinals? They, they beat, beat Belgium. The Belgium. Yeah, but they, Which went, was a good they team, were first good in a team, tough group you know. with France, with Germany. I mean, I don't know. I think that Luca, except from a couple uh, bad performances, I mean, we can we have also taken into account that he had the least talent around him. So I don't know. I see. I I, I mean, when I think about this ranking, I also have to think about the team performance. Well, and except from game against Poland, I mean, but how can you they were exclude not that, that game? It was the most important game. And it was Slovenia, the European champions, against Poland. Poland against Zero. aging AJ Slaughter and Mateusz Ponitka, who doesn't have a Euroleague contract. Zero Euroleague or NBA players. Zero Euroleague or NBA players. And Slovenia starts the game with disrespectful complacency. They were not respecting the game of basketball. And it all starts from Luka. I'm sorry. You know yeah. that I love Luka yeah, as much but as anybody, but <laughs> come on, man. But why we have to focus on this game only when we have 36 games, 36 points against Germany, 47 against France. I mean, look, he could even without scoring points, he makes a huge impact as it happened against in the game against Lithuania. So they could finish fourth in their group and go on and win everything in Berlin. It doesn't really matter about the group stage. They could lose to France or Germany. It matters when you think about the opponents. It's just the same like with Lithuania. Everybody uh, kind of emphasized that, oh, they, they were eliminated in the round of 16. Yeah. But everybody for, forgets to which team we actually lost. They, everybody forgets about the process we had, about the teams we had played against. I mean, and how we, we were close of beating them. I don't know. But the man didn't show up when it mattered the most. He, he got fouled out and the triple-double... because... The you know, referees failed, especially with this Ponitka. technical foul. I mean, I'm not defending him on, on this last game, but I think we have to take into account the whole competition. So um, across the whole competition, I would go for Jokic because in a crucial game, he was there for his team and Luka wasn't. That's my take. And I don't, be, I don't really be. see a difference going out in the eighth final or the quarter final. To me, it makes 
really no no difference you know you are not completing what was your goal neither serbia neither slovenia and whether you are from fifth to eight or from nine to 16th i don't think these two uh, countries care, really care and uh, i don't think luca was just consistent enough throughout the tournament he was struggling to start in the first couple of games with his shot he had two amazing performances but then again the same performance just like we saw in the first two games to to finish off the tournament so i i also see Jokic as number two since this eurobasket was probably the eurobasket of upsets with a lot of unpredictable results that happen and with all these title contenders uh, being eliminated and early and in, in into the knockout stage let's rank the biggest upsets let's let's make a top three of the biggest uh upsets what guys what you guys have I, i have a question for you do you think poland beating slovenia is a bigger upset than spain winning it all yes to me yes poland poland number one yep because we were like in the power rankings i know i'm mixing games uh, i and, think no i think spain me, winning to, the gold medal is a bigger winning upset. the gold medal was improbable but not impossible but it's like we're and poland being about in a semifinal to me looked impossible i don't that's, know that's also true but that's true that's i just i just remember here uh us doing the power rankings and uh we had spain as in the eighth team i think you were i i don't even think that you had spain i don't remember eighth. if we had him in the top i had, I had a, eighth i had maybe eighth, maybe yeah. I, i think i'm thinking someone had germany i think in there probably yeah I, did, i had germany i had spain eighth and uh and i, I just think that <laughs> look, look how it finished looking long term <laughs> but it's, had it's way like harder 23rd yeah. it's way harder to have spain winning the eurobasket for the entire tournament when just have one bad game from slovenia and to have this upset really i was i was thinking about this coming here and i was probably leaning to your side i mean this long-term success for spain it's more impressive than Poland beating Slovenia but I know that the initial shock you know when hearing yes. uh Poland beating Slovenia is bigger but just I think it's way much harder for a long-term success to happen than just you know one game in the single elimination tournament. No, the thing is that ever since Spain overcame Lithuania I actually believe that it's possible then I saw well they're playing Croatia or Finland in the quarterfinals more than capable of winning yeah. those games with Cariolo at the wheel in the semis they're gonna face Greece or Germany okay it's gonna be tough not impossible I don't think they were favorites neither in the semifinal by the by, by the, the bookies, bookies. Yeah. no in the neither in the, final, in the round of 16 Lithuania was the favorites in the semi-final uh Except Germany the, was the favorites yeah. and in the final I think France, France by also. a very thin margin okay. by a very thin margin so yeah but in in my eyes like I said ever since uh, Spain won against Lithuania I believe that it is possible and in Poland's case first of all I thought they're going to lose to Ukraine and oh. secondly Slovenia Poland I I didn't expect anything from that game you just thought that you know Slovenians after seeing Yanis lose and uh Jokic lose. and Jokic lose you just thought okay we're just gonna come out to this game and just destroy this team because they we, were not we serious. can't allow the same thing that happened to them happen yes. to us and then you see a 58 point uh first half from Poland 
And then Poland went on to score less points in two of the first halves in the semifinal and the third game match. Yeah, I think they scored 43 points in 40 minutes yeah, and yeah. 58 in 20 minutes yep. against Slovenia. Yep. It's just, for yeah, me, it's Well, crazy. for me, the top three of upsets is Poland beating Slovenia, number one, Spain crowned champions, number two, and Serbia, Italy, Serbia, number three. I, because, yeah, I cannot include Greece in this list because, first of all, I kind of it knew... It was not that much of an upset. First of all, yeah, Germany was playing great and they just lost to a better team. And the next thing is that I remember there was this bracket and I think that Greece, in one way or another, it was a high possibility, possibility that they were getting some big team, maybe France in the quarterfinals, for example. And we had a very different approach on France before the tournament. So I kind of thought that Greece might fail to make the semifinal just because of the yeah. bracket, you know. So, But in Serbia's case, we, we didn't... Imagine this tournament yeah. ending up without Serbia in the semis. Yeah, yeah. Before that, Serbia and Slovenia will face each other in the semifinals, and then, then who knows? There were some other upsets that I uh, wrote down here. Uh, Belgium beating Spain, Spain by ten in the group stage. An now, underrated, now an underrated game. An underrated game, just like Ukraine beating Italy in Milano. For me, that was. I know they were playing great, and Italy, you know. If you live by three, you also you also die by three. Yeah. So it was just one one of those games. But uh, and Bosnia beating Slovenia, mm. as yeah, well. also in the Balkan derby. Well, but I, I you know I talked with um, with an Italian journalist before uh, Italy Serbia, and he said to me like, we lost our tournament in Milan when we lost to Ukraine <laughs> because now it's over for us. And, and then I mean, they and then should be a semifinal. You can actually team. say they should have been a semifinal yeah. team because, out of all people, you didn't expect Fontecchio to miss two free throws. Mm. So, yeah, I might have jinxed it. I bought his jersey after the Italy Serbia game. Was it an Squadra Azzurra jersey or 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 uh, the the blue Basconia one? jersey? Like no, 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 Italy. The, the Italy, yeah. Italy jersey. Okay. I was so hyped and then just went onto the internet and I was like, okay, I'm going to be like, Reed is the next podcast that arrives, <laughs> you know, I'm going to come with Fontecchio but jersey. Honestly, I think he's a great replacement uh, for Joe Ingles in the oh, Utah yeah. Jazz. I Seeing the way he plays with... I don't with, see any reason why he should fail in the NBA. Just that confidence is rare and uh, yeah. combined with his ability, it's, it, it will be so interesting to see him there. That's all guys, right? I think so. Yeah, it was amazing Eurobasket experience of all the pre-tournament uh, vibes. Oh yeah, Gitis is just reminding us that if you like our content, please uh, subscribe our YouTube channel, press like uh, on this video to help us uh, grow and we will take some rest now. We definitely need some rest and probably starting from the next week, Gitis, right? Could be. There's we'll possibility. Yeah, we will try to approach the upcoming EuroLeague season because it's in like two or three weeks, not much time left and a lot of things to discuss. So thank you guys being here for this whole Eurobasket campaign and let's see each other soon for the Euroleague season.